All right. So welcome to another edition of This Time Around. I'm Debbie Hazelton and oh gosh, on the YouTube channel as well. And I have a very special guest, a dear friend. Uh, just amazing how we became friends. And uh, I don't even know what year that was. Quite a while ago, though. I was living in Orlando at the time and you were there quite a bit. And 2000 six maybe no i came to live there in 07 so well, must have been, it might have been nine or ten when yeah. this happened i'm i'm gonna guess nine or ten so dr tom hudson and um doctor in many ways you are and um i know officially a radiologist right Yes, but I think you're a doctor in a bigger way of, of um, helping people to heal in a larger way than the medical, but that's um, more for for what we'll we'll talk about here to talk about uh, probably many things. But your book, your this is your second book. This is my second, second book. Yes, second book, and it is called. It's called something deeper. Oh something deeper. So I read about half of it last night. It is absolutely beautiful. I know that it comes from the depths of you bringing out places that you weren't really used to bringing out publicly. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. I'm used to it in small groups, in small groups, um, yeah, but not so much publicly. Let's go back a little bit before we dive even more into this one. Tell people about your first book and some of that journey. Uh, my first book was, I guess it's about 10 or maybe 12 years old now. Um, it was called Journey to Hope. And um, it's not about breast cancer. It's what I do is I'm a radiologist, but I my subspecialty is breast imaging. So I deal with breast cancer diagnosis. Um, and most women who go through that process of being evaluated to see if they have breast cancer, most of them actually don't have breast cancer. Um, it's usually an odd little finding we need to check out or, or whatever. Um, and I realized that um, even as the medical system, we would, we would, tell people they're at high risk by these different models that we do, but we never told them what they could do about it. And even women who were diagnosed, because I, where I practiced, I would give everybody results. In other words, they do their mammogram. Um, I would come in and tell them, and they always had, you know, whatever the results were, and they always had questions. And for the smaller percentage of women that actually did have breast cancer that were gonna enter the system for treatment, their questions were always, you know, not always, I, I say, but always in a non-medical way, there were always questions I couldn't answer, which was, well, what's causing this? Uh, what can, is there anything I can do about it? What do you mean you couldn't answer? Uh, in terms of there were no answers. There are there there answers in the medical system for when you have breast cancer and treatment and all of that. But in terms of what causes it, and is there anything you can do about it, right? As a regular person, can you decrease your risk? There at the time, there were very few answers about that. There wasn't much put out about that. 
And so they would always ask it, me, what, what can I do? I know my doctor will take care of all the stuff, right? The chemo or whatever was needed, the surgery, but what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm talking now, 20, 25 years ago, there's 10 years or so before the book, because that's what started me on the journey was, well, just because they're not teaching us this stuff in school doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, so I started doing my own research on it um, and found out that, yes, there is actually a lot you can do um, that, uh, you know, a holistic lifestyle and diet and um, decreasing stress, all those kinds of things will actually decrease your risk of breast cancer. So that's what the book was about to sort of tell people in everyday language, what they could do to sort of empower them because the medical system in terms of breast cancer diagnosis uh, generally doesn't empower women. It just says, well, come and get your mammogram. We'll let you know if you have cancer or not, and we'll see you next year, right? It doesn't tell you anything about a, about a healthy lifestyle. These women were women that were there getting a regular routine mammogram and you were one of the ones seeing the images is that correct yes that's correct i would see the images and then and then give them the results and what you inevitably began to be able to recommend in your book and or even if you did any with unofficially talking to some of these women or maybe talking to them but um, certainly nothing that was prescribed, but it's nothing that would hurt people. It's just, you know, kind of good sound information kind of advice at, like you said, holistic living. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was not medical advice. Um, it's sort of outside the medical system, but it, it was, um, all of that started my whole journey into the holistic, more of a holistic mindset. When you realize that there's very much outside the medical system that you can do to decrease your risk. For instance, I'll just give you one little snippet is uh, women who exercise like uh, I think three to four hours a week, cut their risk of breast cancer in half. It's amazing. 50%. And the, the exercise was walking. Oh. This was, this was the study. So, um, and different dietary changes, low fat diet. I mean, you know, a whole foods diet, that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not medical advice no, in, the, no. in the conventional medical um, perspective. So I was very, I was free to give it. And it wasn't advice that they were generally going to get as right. they went through the system anyway. Sure. Um, so that's what led me on to honestly, a whole search through the whole holistic world when I realized, well, wait a minute, there's all this information out there. And my, my conventional system that I was trained in is not telling us this. No, right. No, this wasn't, wasn't available. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I learned a lot about that um, <laughs> as, as time went by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know how many medical people know that you have this kind of other side or interest um have you had flack from the profession uh no no i sort of expected it honestly that i would get some but uh mostly they're just so busy they're not paying attention to me you know i'm a radiologist and Mm -hmm. um 
they sort of have their own thing going on. And I, I like I said, I was very, especially in the first book, um, I was very careful to tiptoe, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. in terminology and stuff, um, because part of it was not just to women, because honestly, the, the, the society in general, they know these things more than their doctors. Mm-hmm. So part of it was also to doctors as in, hey, if you take a look, there might be more to what we were taught, you know, so I wanted to tread very carefully. Yeah, maybe just sort of plant a few seeds of, of that they might question mm-hmm. um, instead of being anybody's being in anybody's face about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. And, sure. And and also the deeper, I guess this is what gets into my second book, is that this is all deeper than it seems, you know, on the surface. I mean, mm-hmm. the all, all all surface maladies, human yeah. maladies, diseases, sure. et cetera, et cetera, um, have a deeper origin. Yeah. Um, and it gets very mysterious, but it, it's not just because it's mysterious doesn't mean it's not real. Oh yeah. And, and a lot of people who like forgiveness, you know, compassion, I mean, the things that we, that, that sound, I don't know, almost cliche or church-like um, are anything but, yeah, because right. they're sort mm-hmm. of our, they're really our deepest healing tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times when people deal with some of those deeper issues and heal with some of their uh, deal with some of their old wounds and heal from that, then there isn't any medical issue that isn't improved mm-hmm. or, some, or sometimes goes away. Sure. So um, I guess that's the gamut of sort of what I do with people besides, uh, besides just reading the mammograms. So talk to us about this book. It's a, it's a beautiful title. And there are many beautiful ways that you have shared in there. This is the book I've always wanted to write, actually. It's not It's not medical. It's called 31. The subtitle is 31 Spiritual Poems to Help You Navigate Life. I started writing years ago. And this is just like my own journal. It's my own process. It's how I do my quiet time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how I talk to God, if you want to call it that. And, um, and sort of go within. I find it. I find it deeper and easier to do when I put pen to paper because it slows my mind down. So you do pen to paper, not sitting at the computer. Uh, mostly pen to paper. Sometimes mm-hmm. I sit at the computer, but, yeah. but I would say 80% of the time it's pen to paper. And then I sit at the computer and I transfer it. And, and it, it's a little of both because rarely do I put it down on the computer word for word, like I had it on the paper. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of an ever-evolving kind of thing mm-hmm. but these were just my my meditations right my journaling um yeah. it could be about usually something that happened today you know or it was my it was my 50th birthday right that's the first thing um in the book and just my musings about that what does that mean i look back and think about my own family and you know and, and it mm-hmm. just goes it just goes deeper and um therefore the title but yeah. they're they're a collection of those type of um meditations or reflections mm-hmm. and it could be 
it's just everyday life. That's what I say in the in the in the book. You know, we go to church. Some of us have gone to church, or you go do whatever spiritual practice. But it's like everyday life is church, right? Everyday life is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to go anywhere, right? Um, right. Yeah. So the the premise of the book is just that. It's that look around in the in the simplest of things. If we focus and we're present. There are all these deeper truths that reveal themselves. And they, they usually don't if we just consider it all surface. Yeah. You know, take yeah. everything at face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such an invitation. I was talking with a client yesterday too about how much people need to talk. People need to be heard. People need to go within to be able to, to feel safe enough to go within and be heard and to share and to share stories with each other. I think you sharing the way you share allows for people to see that you are willing, you're willing to share, to step up and be vulnerable and to help people know that for you, it really is a healing and a beautiful journey and that they can kind of come on in, the water's fine. Um, I think the invitation to share is is part of what I like about what it is you've done there. And you allow yourself to become so open in your own vulnerability. People think vulnerability is so scary, but it's not necessarily. It's just, it's just allowing oneself to be open and seen and heard or felt. And so that's, that is part of what I think is so beautiful about it. Well, thanks. Um, Yeah. Like I said, it started out to be just for me. I never, I never wrote these for anybody else. And then what happened years ago is, um, you know, and they're relatively short. Um, and uh, it can be read in easily one sitting. Mm-hmm. And what I found over time was uh, things would come up with friends or people that I was close to, and I'd see them maybe struggling with something that I had struggled with. And I saw something I had written and I thought, wow, maybe this would speak to you. So I gave it out. I would just send it to somebody. I took a chance mm-hmm. because you never know, right? I was taking a chance. Yeah. Um, and I was really blown away by how much um, how much it meant to them and how much they got out of it. Yeah. And I, I remember I remember specifically, I have no idea what the time frame was, but it was early in that process and, I, and getting that feedback, I thought, wow, I guess I guess I have the ability to make people feel, what I, what I'm feeling, whatever I'm feeling when I write it, whatever I'm downloading. I mean, it is basically, Mm -hmm. I basically sit and write what I feel like I'm hearing, what Mm -hmm. I'm feeling and what I'm hearing. And to see that, wow, it isn't just me, you know, it's other people too. And, and it, it sort of helped me with my overall view of life uh which i think i first developed by traveling living overseas and seeing people of like all different colors and cultures and ethnicities and all of that and and you realize wow you know what on one level 
we're all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want the same things. And yeah. we all deal them. There's only so many things we deal with as humans. We all get and, egg on our faces too. Yeah. We all get, we all just, life can be messy for any of us. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. my theory is that we're all living the same life, but the details are different. The mm-hmm. surface looks different. We have wildly different experiences on the surface. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a doctor, somebody else is a, you know, whatever their job is, uh, somebody else is unemployed, somebody else is, you know, um, but it underneath the emotions and what we want and what we deal with, you know, love, anger, compassion, judgment, mm-hmm. all those things are just human and with yeah. they're common to us all. Mm-hmm. And I guess over time, I, I felt well, I feel I always felt like uh, it was a compulsion to write. I was compelled to write. I could not write, you know, and I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah, more. They were never again meant to go anywhere yeah. initially. And then I I realized that people kept encouraging me saying, "Look, you got to put these out. These are a yeah. benefit to people because mm-hmm. um, you know, part of the message too, and it, yeah, it's a little scary. Uh, um to be vulnerable in that way because doctors are, are seen a certain way in our society. But part of the message is, Hey, you know, there's no free lunch just because you're a doctor, right? People mm-hmm. see you a certain way. And sometimes doctors see themselves a certain way talking about MDs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just people too. And we deal with the same stuff. And um, I guess yeah, ultimately, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to put it out there. And I I felt um, my experience with the Center for Mind Body Medicine helped me tremendously in that because we would do these small groups where you share like intimately like the that's the there's safety in the group. It's confidential. They have a beautiful model and people from all walks of life are in the same group. And you can share that you share your heart and it's a safe place. Um, the center is amazing. They have both uh, Israelis and Palestinians on the faculty. They've been in Gaza in the past and done groups with Israelis and Palestinians in the same group. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what comes up. And yet, because it's a place where they can be honest and, and, and because it's a, I want to say they talk about being a safe container. It's a safe container. Yeah. And and they see each other's stuff, right? Humanity. Humanity, right? I mean, it, it makes me emotional even to, even to think about it. And I haven't been, you know, I've run the groups before, but not, I haven't done it for a while. But you see everybody else's humanity. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're Israeli. It doesn't matter if they're Palestinian. It takes a few group meetings, but all we always that stuff starts to fall away. And you see people in their essence. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, my experience with that gave me, and my job as the group leader is to be a real person. I lead the group. You know, I keep things going and I set the container and, 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 you know, make things sure things run well. But part of my 
job is to be a real person too, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a that's the type of leadership they talk about at the center, you know, by example. And mm-hmm. and it, yeah, so being through so many of those groups, you know, I'm so confident we all deal, we all deal with the same crap. Well, <laughs> life doesn't, the world doesn't really encourage it. I mean, it's clean up the place before company comes, put on your makeup, which is an interesting term, makeup. And is that to pretend or is that to catch up? just an interesting term, but, you know, get ready for the world. And, and people are often criticized if their humanness shows. So in different professions, so, you know, we're not really taught and yeah, it is good to learn to discern. You don't necessarily want to be hanging it all out everywhere, but to be able to know and to feel good enough. Okay. Enough that it's okay to, to be able to share in certain times and places and feel safe enough. That's, that's a real art that a lot of people don't really get to learn. And maybe later in life, if, if they do. I agree. I mean, I I consider part of my work, you know, as I try to evolve as, as time goes by is sort of undoing all those old messages. Mm Mm-hmm. From when we grew up, mm-hmm. you know, and motivation was a certain was a lot of shame in it, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of negative, a lot of negative um, messages, you know, to sort of get you to straighten up yeah. and fly right to use yeah. a, a term yeah. I've heard in the past. Yeah, um, we probably all have a lot of it is really um, learning to undo those messages and um I think that's a lot of what the book is just because I, I talk about my process and, um, you know, different memories and things like that that were troubling. And, um, and I, I work my way through them. I, I think the maybe one of the most interesting things about the way I write is when I start a piece, I have, I just intuitively know how I want to start, but I don't necessarily know how I'm going to finish. Yeah. I just, I ask questions of who, whoever, whatever, you know, just ask, well, why am I that way? Why do I feel this way? Um, What am I missing? You know, and, and, and generally there's the answers kind of come, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it often leads to places that you don't expect. And I guess that's what it would be for people would be an invitation to stop and take a little time and look a little deeper because the reasons we do things are often really out of habit, you know, and they're really unquestioned. You know, we really don't question our behavior uh, or our reactions. Oftentimes they're just habits from a lifetime. And it's just, the way we are, quote unquote, but it's not, it's not the way we are. It's the way we act. It's the way we react, but it's not really the way we are, you know? Um, So, So I wonder, because when you read, I mean, when you go into reading, I don't even know, you've done it for me a couple of times. And I don't know if you literally feel it coming on or how you know that it's, if you get any kind of something that it's about to happen, but when you, 
when you go in, and I think I've even been with you when you've done it with yourself, when you've suddenly said, oh, I'm reliving this certain memory. Um, but when you do it, you go to such a deep place and you take a person to such a deep place and you kind of key in on certain images and and whether it's an actual memory or it's kind of putting putting a bunch of images of what somebody was going through into a um like a vignette of what you see um it is absolutely incredible how deep you go with it and i wonder if when you're writing if you go to that same place where this something that happens to you when you're doing this for other people is doing this for you. Does that make any sense? Uh, it does make sense. And I think that that is a theme and that that is a basic premise. It's like whatever you do for, you know what? I have a, a, a saying, I don't know, a little quote, and I don't remember who said it, but I have it. And and it's from the center for, I learned about it from the center for mind body medicine, one okay. of my early mentors. Mm -hmm. And it says, whatever you do for others, you do for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was a little longer than that, but that yeah. was the key. That was mm -hmm. the key thing because we're all connected. And, and if we're all connected, which we are, mm -hmm. everything you do for yourself, you also do for others. And vice so, versa. And yeah. vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's all connected. It's all circular. So yeah. it, can't, it has to work both ways. That's what mm -hmm. holistic means. Yeah. But yes, I feel that absolutely when, <clears throat> if I'm doing a reading on someone, I feel it, you yeah. know, I feel it. And on, and on some level, it's healing for me as, as well. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's, it's interesting, you know, the, how, because I'm so visual, but um it's interesting to tie in my regular career. So what's my career? My career is as radiologist. So I interpret images. So I read the image. I look at the image. I interpret it. Then I do a report, a written report for someone who may never see the image. Mm -hmm. The doctor that I'm writing the report for may never see the image. So, so I have to describe, my job is to describe that image well enough mm -hmm. so that this person over the phone or wherever can get an, a picture in their head of what's really happening based on what I say. Yeah. So I've, I've, oh, I don't know, I read a million. I, I figured it out one time. I estimated one time, how many images have I viewed in my career you wow. know it's well over a million and mm -hmm. and and depending on how i describe it i can paint an entirely different picture um for instance and so okay there's a breast mass okay well there's a breast mass well it's well circumscribed it's homogeneous uh it's not vascular it's um you know what we call why there's certain there's certain terms that we use mm -hmm. and and basically for people in the field i'm saying that's benign 
Mm -hmm. Right. That's by, by me using all those words, right. To describe a mass, or I can say it's irregular. It's speculated. They're shadowing. It's heterogeneous. It's highly vascular, right. It paints a different picture. Mm -hmm. So the images do not get sent with the reports usually. Well, these days it's on, uh, these days it's on the computer. So yeah. Um, but it, depending on the specialty, depending on the doctor's specialty, they may or may not need to look at it. Right. Yeah. You know, if I send somebody to a breast surgeon, they're going to look at the image and they know yeah. what they're looking at. Sure. But they're not radiologists, but they know well what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. But if it's, a, let's say, a family practice doc and it's a chest X-ray and I describe something benign, they may not always need to, you know, to, to look at it. But But very often the words that I use can compel them to look. The message can be, you better look at this. Or the message can be, listen, this person's okay. If you want to check it out, you can, uh, but you don't have to if you don't want to. This person's, this patient's safe, in other words. Mm -hmm. And I can convey that depending on my language. So all that to say, this was great training for being able to describe in detail these other things that are experienced on an emotional level and on on an energetic and soulful level so you're describing these very deep experiences yes i never saw it that way and it's it's like uh it's like all of our lives you know there are no accidents and and as things happen even this book uh as i look back you know people ask me well how long does it take you to write a book it's like well mm -hmm. All my, I've been right. It took me, you know, six months, but really it took me all my mm -hmm. life because mm -hmm. you have to live it. Mm -hmm. And, and you see all these experiences, not, not only just when you're a kid, but as an adult, all these things that seem random. And then mm -hmm. when, as your life mm -hmm. evolves, you look back and go, oh my gosh, that wasn't random at all. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see where you've been prepared yeah. for certain things all well, along. Because you follow the, you are awake to the reflections, to the sort of the synchronicity. And I know you also do a lot with dreams. You listen to your dreams, so you pay attention to them. Yes, uh, I, I don't consider myself an expert at it, but um, hmm. but I love dreams and I've had some training in it. And um I think just listening within is the best training. Really, I think listening within is the best training and nobody can really dream books, right? Oh, yeah. What the symbols are, but mm -hmm. ultimately, ultimately you're the one who knows yeah. what the symbols yeah. are. They come to you intuitively. Exactly. And I find dreams fascinating, mm -hmm. whether it's out of body experiences or some dreams are very meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I wake up and say, I better write that down right yeah. now. Uh, one yeah. of the, one of the days, um, uh, there's 31 days, 31 in the book, mm -hmm. uh, different reflection for every day. One of them was a dream. And, and I, I described the dream, but then in the describing of it, that's why meditation is beautiful or some kind of contemplative practice, mm -hmm. deeper practice of, of self-inquiry or just, I guess that's as good a term as any like listening, listening, You're listening because yeah. I got up, I knew immediately it was a meaningful dream. 
I could recount it for you right now. And this was, I don't know, a year ago. And as I was writing the, and describing the dream, the significance of the dream came to me. And, and it was really powerful of counteracting an old memory that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are what I, I've heard described as pizza dreams <laughs> to oh. the night before. That means nothing. Oh. Yeah. Right. You just forget those. And you you have a sense. Uh, generally, if we again, it's the theme of the book. If we pay attention, there's so much we know intuitively as humans. You don't have to be a quote unquote intuitive. Oh no. We all are intuitive. We all have that capacity. Mm -hmm. And you get better at it by practicing. I think getting better at um, staying conscious to the, to the inner world or the spirit world, or it could be called lots of different things, but staying conscious beyond, um, you talk about the mundane, I'm actually speaking about the mundane this Sunday, but, um, getting, being conscious, I can remember, um, times where I would sort of feel renewed in, paying attention to my spirit life. And it would be like, I would liken it to being on a bike or on a scooter. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to stay on now. I'm going to stay on and I'm not going to fall off. And, you know, I'd stay on for a little while and then I'd get all caught up in, in life and stories and drama and ego and, and every other thing. And then I'd come back to the spiritual. But to me, uh, increasingly, it's about getting to a point of, feeling more in sync with both working together. It's like more of the instruments in the orchestra um, blending together and hearing each other and, you know, being able to have that dialogue between the, the inner and the experience in the world. Yes, I totally agree. It's putting them together because that mm -hmm. is our experience. Um, I mean, if we're just going to be in Nirvana and never, you know, never deal with the world, then, or then why are we here? You know, mm -hmm. we're here mm -hmm. to be, we're to be both, right? We're yeah. and we're earthly all at the same time. So it's sort of, it's just a unique human experience. Um, well, when I say get better at intuition, for instance, um, really getting better only means listening more. Yes, yes. That's all it, you know, it, our, our, it's a whole other subject, but I've always, I think we've probably talked about it before. It fascinates me, but our, our language gives away so much mm -hmm. of our internal rules, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How we view the world. Sure. And if we just listen to what we say, and mm -hmm. for instance, just that statement, oh, get better at it. Well, that's a cultural statement, mm -hmm. right? It's a cultural statement because it's not like it's a competition. And no. you can't, you can't sit down and go, okay, I'm going to do 10 intuition push-ups this morning, right? That's <laughs> kind of how we view everything. So mm -hmm. and that's what I was talking about before, which is we want to evolve as a human um, and understand the world and yourself in a better, deeper way. It often involves dumping things. It doesn't involve getting, it doesn't involve adding things to be better. It involves getting rid of things, right? That hold us back. 
Mm-hmm. And then you you perceive everything in a much deeper way. And it's much easier to hold yourself and others in compassion. And once you find that path, you realize that's the path. That's like the only path. And you can put it in any kind of religion you want or any kind of belief system. You can put it in any kind of belief system or words that you want. But either way, it always it all comes down to that. You know, that uh, Jim Gordon talks about being fully human and and being fully human is just a beautiful experience. It's, a, it's what we all really want. It's a, what we all really want when we chase after so many other things that we think are going to give it to us. But it's really that inner peace and. Maybe that, that inner experience of of bliss or joy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. And I guess that's what my, you know, when I think about the book, it's, it's, I guess you could, I haven't thought about any of these terms before, but it's kind of my search for that. It's my search for that. Mm-hmm. It's my oh, process in, cha- yeah. in chasing after that mm-hmm. and wanting it very deeply and finding myself often in these places where I don't, have that or somebody irritates me and i'm like well what <laughs> why did they do that why am i irritated about this? what whatever it is it, there are you could look around you know where you're sitting even as we speak and there are 10 different things there are 10 different avenues that you could look at whether internally or externally and and find deeper truths that will help you to understand yourself better and understand the world better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I love it because, you know, over the years I would often say, you know, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And I just always knew that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted you to bring out even more of what I knew was there. And I've always felt like, you know, you just, you have such a a depth that I think people need. And I think you're going to get a lot of speaking from it where you'll be able to use any of those as springboards for, for talks and, um, and, you know, or storytelling or, or, group activities where you encourage other people to you use yours and encourage other people to tell their stories in different ways. But I think, yeah, individual work and group work and um, major ways of helping people to heal. I just think, you know, yeah, it's high time. It's great, Mm. great timing. Thanks. Yeah. I uh, hope this is going to be my, my next career. I've enjoyed what I've done up to now, but I do Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, I've had this book in me all my life. Um, mm-hmm. If you read the first half, you may not have gotten to the place that I talk about my writing as a kid and oh. some of those things. But um, yeah, I feel like I've had this book in me all my life. And and it, it's sort of, a, I don't know, yeah. coming out party in a, in a sense, right? I mean, I've been successful. I've had a successful career, all those things. And yet, it's always felt like there's, you know, quote unquote, something deeper. Um, 
that I think we're just here to help the world, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I wrote well, just the other day about why, you know, why write the book. And I, and I, there's multiple reasons, but one of them was I didn't want to waste my struggles, right? If I keep my mm -hmm. struggles to myself, in a sense, they're wasted, <laughs> right? I'm here for a while. I die and move on. Mm -hmm. But in in how I deal with my struggles and what I'm trying to accomplish and trying not to be judgmental and trying to be patient and all those things, um, it, it it resonates with people I, I've found because we're all looking for the same thing. So if I, um, I just came up with that the other day, actually, about wasting like my struggles that. by yeah. not, not sharing them. Right. And and so I thought you wrote, a. I thought you talked about writing in your, in the introduction or in the preface, but talk about um, writing as a kid. Well, um, there's a piece towards the end of the book that, that, that talks about this as I was getting ready to go. The last few pieces are when I finally decided to get it published, when I, oh, when I finally drove and met the publishers in person and mm -hmm. to see if they liked what I had written and then they liked it. And then, you know, it just going through that process and, mm -hmm. and things came back to me. Like I, I, when I was a kid, I mean, this is actually funny, but I, I was I eight or nine. I couldn't remember exactly, but I, I was always writing. I was always doing stories and mm, I put a bunch of them together uh, and put them in a Kleenex box oh. and I taped the box up and I guess I put it in the, put in the, in the mailbox. I'm not sure. But anyway, my dad found it <laughs> and I write about what it was like when my dad came down with the box and I'm like, Oh no. Oh. You know? And um Right. I just remember him saying, uh, nobody's going to publish these. So, of course, I was oh, crushed. And, that's and I was, terrible. you know, yeah. And I was like, you know, embarrassed and oh. humiliated and all that stuff. Right. So that was that's why I didn't tell anybody about it, you know. So but nobody told me about postage as a nine year old. So I just stuffed it in the mailbox. Oh. So it was just one of those memories. Right. It was a difficult memory because my dad sort of crushed that. Right. Mm -hmm. But. And this is what's beautiful about the writing process and the self-reflection process, even if you don't write. Because in writing it, as I went through it, I realized it's like, oh, well, what did dad say? Maybe, I think he did say something because I was sort of balled up, right? Because I, it was hurt and I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, hadn't really forgiven that. And I hadn't worked on it because it wasn't a big deal. He wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't wrong. Nobody's going to publish it. But I, I suddenly remembered, it's like, oh, you know, I think he said something like, just wait a few years. Oh. And that doesn't sound so harsh. No. Right? And then, and then, uh, so I kind of, and I thought, gosh, it probably crushed him to tell his little kid, right, who was so creative and so innocent and naive and, 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 and at eight years old or nine years old, had the had the drive to create this and want to put it out there I said it probably crushed him to to have to tell his little kid that but I didn't see that as a child's memory as mm -hmm. a child's memory was much different sure. but as an adult contemplating this I began to see it differently as I'm writing it on the paper I began I said wow maybe this didn't happen exactly like I thought it did mm -hmm. so 
that's the that's the beauty of of these pieces I, I I believe and it's because they're sort of living right I don't I don't think something comes to me an event comes to mind and I have certain thoughts about it and I start writing it but by the time I'm finished, I've gone to multiple different places. I'm not in the same place I was at the beginning of the page, you know, beginning of the piece. No, and I imagine that some of it has changed a lot from when you first wrote at that young age. And maybe that's some of what he also was saying, you know, that they will be a lot different later as you grow. Oh, I just wrote these stories about, I think, is the battle of the hot and cold planet. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. You know, I had all these colors. I'm like, well, do the do the heat rays melt the ice rays, or do the ice <laughs> rays melt the heat rays? Who's oh. gonna? Win? You know, that was all that. This I was eight years old, nine what years old. What you were thinking about, though? Wow, well, it was, it's kind of deep. It's kind of deep thinking now that yes. I now that I I didn't think so at the time, but oh. but it's kind of deep thinking now that I now that I contemplate it. But uh, so I guess I don't know. I think we're born with certain proclivities, I guess I would say, or certain tendencies. And those tendencies are always there, mm -hmm. I think, throughout your whole life. And ultimately, they are your greatest gift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I think it's always been curiosity. I've just always been curious mm -hmm. about stuff. Why is it that way? Why is it that way? Well, why? And um, one of the ones that I found especially uh, well, meaningful and then certainly sad, um, where I know you ultimately had to do some forgiving, um, was about your dog. Oh, yeah. My childhood dog, who oh. was really like the emotional glue of the family. That's just how the family mm -hmm. was, you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, had a very deep emotional connection with her and mm -hmm. um when she, we had her when i was early uh, i think we got her when i was five so i don't even remember not having that dog and then she died when i was like maybe 17 something like that and mm. and i didn't get a chance to say goodbye and for different reasons i explained in the book um you know decisions my parents made and well yeah I, you said you were off at a wrestling match and they didn't tell you what they were doing that day. Well, and... I was in a I was in the middle of a wrestling tournament, which oh, was tournament. a two or three day tournament. Okay. And wrestling meant a lot to me. And um and I think they they just took her, they well, I know they took her and had her put to sleep. And they didn't tell me because they thought that it would upset me. Mm. And well, it probably would have upset me, but yeah. <laughs> it upset me worse just having the dog disappear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to come home you know? and, yeah. Well, where's Lady? Uh, we had her put to sleep. Uh, you didn't tell me, you know, and then sort of I was the one that had the deepest connection with the dog. Yeah. So, um, mm. oh, God. So that's all. And I didn't realize, again, this was this. Why did this come up? That dog's been dead for. 55 years mm -hmm. right why is why did this come up well it's because a friend of mine in a small group where we were sharing shared that her dog had just died and she was grieving over her dog mm -hmm. and because we were so connected in this group 
and it was so open and safe that she shared her emotions over her dog. And that really struck me. This is where I'm talking about. It's a perfect example of how we are all having the same experience, right? Grief is human. Mm -hmm. And it was her dog. I didn't even know her before the group, but I could feel the experience. So it brought up that with me, with my dog. And I went, oh my God, I never grieved my dog right? Because I'm in high mm -hmm. school, whatever. I got a girlfriend now and okay, sorry, the dog's gone. Yeah. Bother me. Didn't tell me. But all right. Uh, what's going on tomorrow? You know? So mm -hmm. that's just life as a teenager, I think. So, mm -hmm. um, um, so yeah, so I contemplated the whole thing. It brought back that whole memory just because my friend's dog died. <laughs> and I, so I went back and I, I just, I started writing about, I felt, yeah. I felt her pain. Yeah. And I and it brought up this memory and I started writing about it. And yeah, you get back to where this is the beautiful thing about writing as a, or journaling as a, as a process is yes, I got back from my friend's dog died and I felt that pain. Okay. It got me to thinking, it got me to contemplating. I went all the way back through that memory and how much I loved my dog and, and memories I hadn't thought of forever but once i got to the place of oh why didn't they didn't why didn't they tell me right which is where which is where at at 17 it cuts off pretty much mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and it allows me now as an adult to look back and deepen that memory mm -hmm. oh well they really thought that what were they going to do you know what i mean they didn't want to just because they in my view, even now made a mistake by not telling me, it didn't mean they didn't love me. You know what I mean? It didn't no. mean they loved me less mm -hmm. by making the wrong call. And, and it's interesting that you, we were talking about dreams because here's the connection with the piece. Maybe you didn't get to later in the book. I had a dream and this is emotional, even as we sit here oh. that I got to say goodbye to my dog. Oh, and and part of this, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I said goodbye to my dog. So so, it this gets into a lot of Lynn McTaggart's work. Yes, yes. Which is which is you can heal your past, right? We use imagery for the future. We imagine what we want in the future, but you can also use imagery to heal your past. Because mm -hmm. I had this very deep very vivid dream and um you know interestingly you know about about um lucid dreams right they mm -hmm. call them lucid dreams mm -hmm. and that's what this was so this is about my dog and she was older uh this is the whole piece in the book so now you'll know kind of oh, what yeah. so yeah. the dream was that she was old and she was laying around and in pain and we're all deciding what to do and in this dream i had a say and then suddenly I realized, you know, as we often do, you know, holy crap, this is a dream. It's a dream. That's not real. It's a dream. And lucid dreams, you don't wake up, right? And you can guide, you can guide the dream. Mm -hmm. And it's very powerful imagery. Yeah. And I remember in the middle of the dream going, well, you know what? If I have a say now, I'm going to say goodbye to lady. Oh. Yeah. So and it just happened. Oh. It was so beautiful. That is. There was such healing that came out of that. 
because I, I got it when this is significant. This is a significant dream. I need to write this down. And there was all this forgiveness. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and the biggest thing, it wasn't so much the forgiveness because I wasn't really that mad at mom. Mm-mm. You know, as, as far as mom and dad indiscretions go, that's pretty minor. You know, I mean, for for all of us, that's a pretty minor thing. I never really was super upset about them. I was irritated mm-hmm. with them about it, but never super mm-hmm. upset. But the bigger thing was I never grieved my dog. Yeah. Who then, meant the world to me. It was mm-hmm. the only real emotional connection I had in that house. Sure. And, and I realized it just got cut off. And I never grieved. Well, I'm 17. Who knows the need for grieving when you're 17, right? You're in high school and you got stuff going on. But but so I wrote, it ended up being that piece finished up about grief. Mm-hmm. It started out about my dog, but it ended up about grief in general, which is you just got to do it, right? We just have to do it. And if we don't grieve, then our memories are locked at sort of a more superficial mm-hmm. level. Here's how I described it is that it's like seeing my dog in a black and white picture. And I know I loved my dog. Yes, I loved my dog. That was great. You know, it was nice. She's not here now. But when you grieve and you let that emotion come out, which is process. It's processing stuff that's been in there since I was 17. Mm-hmm. And it's that you take that black and white photo of something that was 50 years old. And it's like, yeah, that was nice. And it turns it into this like living color photo in mm-hmm. your heart, mm-hmm. like your dog's still here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just so much richer. The memories are richer. Yes. I describe them. Yes. This is where I describe, use that ability to describe in detail mm-hmm. the pictures that I'm seeing of feeling her fur and looking into her Aww. dark brown eyes, right? Because I'm seeing these pictures in my head. I just, and feeling it, I just describe it. Yeah. And there's a theme because it doesn't matter whether, and that's the point of the writing at the end of it, it doesn't matter whether it's a dog, it doesn't matter whether it's a cat, it doesn't matter whether it's your spouse, right? Not to equate those things, but in terms of grieving, it's a necessary human thing. Well, to me, it sounds like what what it allowed you to do was to make it full of meaning, for you and to enrich the meaning. Like I love the book, The Little Prince and where he talks about, you know, once you love your rose, you will know your rose is different from all the other roses. So you in that time were able to, I think, enrich your life, enrich your heart by really building on all the imagery of what you could know about her and your connection. And, and, you know, to say like, I don't know that I agree that kids don't know about grieving or, you know, but to me, that's your experience, your experience about how, you know, all of that with the parents isn't what it's really all about or isn't so important, but to some, it really is. And some don't ever go past that. And I think that for you, 
to be able to say that dog was what I knew about emotional connection. I never really knew about emotional connection before that. And it might've been real hard to figure out how do I, how do I create or experience another emotional connection when I don't even know how to let go of the one that I had, you know? So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty right on the mark (laughs) actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's pretty right on. Um, but I think it's very beautiful. And to, you know, I think to many, that's what they will probably get is, oh, emotional connection. Wow. Um, what is that? Oh, I guess I have felt that. And oh, where did that go? And oh, yeah, I remember that. Or, or oh, I remember losing that. And, and you know, um, it's too bad there wasn't you know, I mean, I think I, no matter how well their intentions are or were, it's a very real kind of too bad that they didn't find a way for you to get to say goodbye. You know, that's just, that is real. And it doesn't mean you have to make a horrible mark on them and say, oh, they were terrible people and all that. But it, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just an empty place, whoa. you know. Just yeah. a little, it's just a small one. It's not the end of the world. No, right? it's not, no, a, but not, not a capital, not a capital parental offense. No, you know? no, but, but still very just, deep and real. Yes, very deep and real. And and one of the other things that came to me while I was writing that piece was just about, well, people say, well, it's just a dog. It's like, well, okay, what does that mean more than if you loved your cat? What if you loved your turtle? What if you love people or, you know, so I was, I was contemplating that. And what came to me was, you know, we are love that, right. That's mm-hmm. what we are at our mm-hmm. essence and mm-hmm. the people and things that we quote unquote love are people and things that put us in touch with who we really are. Mm-hmm. And we project that onto people and say, Oh, we love them because you know, this mm-hmm. or that, but ultimately they're like triggers or they cause us to connect with ourselves really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's a dog, you know, um, unless it does unless at the it, time. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Unless it does at the time. I think mm-hmm. in the bigger, in other words, what I mean it, by that is that it's not to be diminished. No, no, not at all. Dog. No. Oh no. And oftentimes you know, the connection, I marvel at the connections between animals and people, you know, the language of play or the language of, of um, an animal learning, oh, this is what my person does. And this is how I know what I'm supposed to do, because I see, I see, I feel, I know what it is they're doing. And so there's this back and forth language that is just incredible. Well, and I agree. And, you know, animals know more about unconditional than humans do and right <laughs> and, and uh there's this uh saying you know dear god please make me into the man my dog thinks i am <laughs> yeah sure so it's really a special relationship um and depending on what you're missing it's another theme of the book it's like the universe sends us depending on what you're missing Mm-hmm. Yeah, situations come to you in the oddest of places, right? For me, it was a dog, 
And it yeah. filled in this gap that I didn't know I had. Mm-hmm. Why is it so meaningful? I've had other dogs, but this one was special and it was very meaningful. It filled in a gap for that little boy who had no idea what gaps were or that he even had one. Mm-hmm. And, and beautiful. You know, it wasn't the only time in my life, you know, I describe other times in my life where the, 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 those things have happened. And I think they happen for us all. And, and I guess the invitation of the book is to just begin to look, mm-hmm. right? Just begin to look, look inside, sure. look at your life, look all around. You know, if you look a little deeper, well, there I, are wells and pools of incredible things that we I, miss just skate along the surface. Yeah. And I know you've heard people thank you, say thank you for their cancer or for their anything. I've heard people say, I'm thankful for my alcoholism or my substance abuse, or I'm thankful for, you know, lots of different things that sort of got, got their attention, got our attention in any way and opened up. I think, um, Ian Levansant, I think she was the one who wrote a title, something about one day, my soul just opened up or cracked open or something like that. And it, I think the experiences that open us or crack us or or provide the opportunity for us to get to know who we are beyond the day-to-day or the just the the surface experiences like wow that's what I hear you inviting people to that it doesn't have to even be a calamity it doesn't have to be cancer it doesn't have to be something tragic but it could it's a call to to move to those open, those places that really are saying, please, please come and build meaning. Yes. And there are things in our, inside of all of us that are saying, please heal me. Yes. Uh, yes. And that's where a lot of the different things keep, keep cropping up in our lives. And we, we, we get irritated sometimes with it or frustrated or want them to go away because they don't feel good, but they're really saying, please heal me. That's mm-hmm. what, that's what it is. Um, and you know, it's another, I guess it's a relatively recent realization for me, just I'd say in the last few years is you can't go back and change, right? My, my parents didn't tell me that they took the dog and had her put down. They didn't tell me, but with imagery or dreams Mm -hmm. or internal work, effectively, I got to say goodbye to my dog. Right. Sure, and who's sure. to say which reality is is more real. But into you, you can use imagery to go back and you can yes. change the past. You can't change what happened, but you can see it in a different way. And what happens is for me with the dog thing is that I saw it more as an adult. I got to see it more as an adult. And I had this deep understanding from my parents. It's like, what are they going to do? They were, they were, they were actively thinking of me when they decided not to tell me. They just made the wrong call. But oh. they were specifically considering me, right? So I see that differently as an adult. And and but when you carry the memory as a you know as a seventeen year old, um, you know how many seventeen year old memories do we have in our you know? where we're stuck, right? We get stuck where we don't forgive. 
Well, sure. And I think people at lots of ages, like, I mean, I want, I guess I would want to say, you know, even to, if I'm working with somebody and I remember my therapist said to me, I started justifying things my parents did. And she said, you're old enough to stop forgiving them. Because I think sometimes people very quickly move to justifying what someone did. Here's, here's another thing that I would think, think is really cool. I mean, I think on one way, that imagery, you got to heal the grieving part of you. You got to feel the grief by saying goodbye to the dog. But I also think that in a way, for any way that your child, your children ever felt disappointed in like, oh, dad, he fell short. He didn't give me a chance to whatever. You got to feel the good intentions of your parents and to then know how well intended you've been as a parent. Uh, yes, I, I would agree. And I think that, again, that's the whole point. We're all, we're all connected. We are mm-hmm. all connected. And mm-hmm. the way families work, right? When I forgive something my parents did or didn't do. It helps them it, heal. It helps. Yeah, it helps me heal. And yeah. it helps, it, it helps break. Because there are patterns in family. We study this mm-hmm. in the Center for mm-hmm. Mind Body Medicine. Sure. You know, sure. We do these genograms and there are different mm-hmm. things are inherited in families and they run in families that are not just physical. It's not just DNA. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like it's part of our work while we're here is to undo those patterns. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Where, where they're unhealthy. And, and yes, when I... When I let my parents off the hook, let's say, right, where mm-hmm. one day, well, specifically like my dad, I remembered him walking down the stairs. I mean, that's a specific memory with the box that I, you know, of my stories. Um, and then when you see it differently and I let him off the hook for that, it it just opens, it just shifts the energy in my whole family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that my kids are grown and gone. Right doesn't matter that the, the, the generational part of that, I, I stop and cut off once I forgive and just go, you know what, you were doing the best you could. Um, I love the way you wrote about how much it meant to you when your kids different ways wanted to spend time with you, even as adults. Yeah, that was very sweet. And that's yeah. the interesting part of the book is that I wrote that while my daughter was 12. I wrote that 20 years ago. That's right. I remember you saying she was 12, but then your, I think it was your son also wanted you to play. Play basketball, basketball. with him, even though yeah. he never. <laughs> yeah. I was a wrestler in high school. You know, I'm not that tall. I don't jump. And my son was pretty good. So he would, he would want to play with me out in the driveway yes. all the time. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, I, <laughs> and then it was, uh, but it was, I, I saw deeper. I, I saw mm-hmm. deeper. That's the whole point of the book. Wait a minute. He doesn't get a kick out of beating me. He's a pretty confident guy. Yeah. You know, he just wants to hang out. Yes, absolutely. He just wants to right? hang out. And I went mm-hmm. through each of the kids in real, and I could see times where again, on the surface, I'm a dad. It's my job. I'll go play basketball with my kid. You know, that's what we do. But yeah, but but it took 
me sitting down and writing about it and then letting those inner feelings evolve to realize, wait a minute, it's not about the basketball. My daughter had seen that movie 15 times. She knew it by heart. Yeah, you were saying that. And it wasn't even a favorite movie, but. Yeah. And she wanted me to watch it. And I thought, oh, all right. She'd been asking me. All right. And I, yeah, I found it extraordinarily moving. And I don't even remember what the movie was, but. And I was, that's what started the whole writing. Why am I finding this so extraordinarily moving? It's just a dumb movie. It was a fine movie. I don't remember the name. What's going on? Right. And that's when it, oh, that's what's going on. It's not the movie. My daughter wants to spend time with me. Mm -hmm. And, And how wonderful that made me feel as opposed to, and and then brought up the whole other, oh yeah, my other kids, I went through each, um, each of them and realized Mm -hmm. times that they did that. And then I fast forwarded to, to now and talk about how they still come home. They still want to come. Yes. And how close the family still is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just beautiful, but I think it's a theme that we can all you know, unless I, unless I take the time to look deeper at what's going on in the everyday things, there's not much more every day than your daughter going, Hey, will you watch this movie with me? Okay, fine. You know? Um, and, but unless you say what's going on here, why am I feeling so, why does this make me feel so good? This doesn't make any sense. And then it expands a whole other world. Mm-hmm. And it's a world of gratitude and of love and of peace. And um, and that's how you're inviting people into it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hopefully showing them that these things are everywhere. I've had riding on my bike. Yeah. Um, something my yoga teacher said, just mm-hmm. going through some of these, you know, uh, I work Pizza. online. Pizza. <laughs> Or I ordered a pizza <laughs> and, and contemplation, sort of a spiritual view of ordering a pizza, right? Anything, any day, if we pay attention, there are so many deeper things to learn and understand about ourselves and the human condition. And when we understand them, when we get in touch with them, we see how beautiful life is and how unimportant most of the things are that we get hung up on. And I, I think that's how we were meant to live. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we were meant as humans. We are designed to exist that way. We're not exist. We don't, we're not designed to judge other people. Mm -hmm. We're not designed to judge ourselves or hammer ourselves for mistakes. No. Um, But we all do. Mm -hmm. And there's one in there about the inner critic. What do I do about my inner critic? Right. I want to assassinate him, you know, (laughs) so I'm, I'm writing my full, my, my real feelings down. Yeah. But then it evolves mm-hmm. into, well, what do I do? What do we do about our inner critic? Um, so it's just invitation because I, I doubt that there's a single, there's a couple about being a doctor, you know, but it, it's, they're, they're, they're generic too, right? The texts were frustrated one day and I was listening to them and I had a whole, I did a whole writing on frustration. Well, we all get frustrated. It doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or a gas station attendant, no. right? So what does right. frustration mean? What is it telling me? Um, so I guess that's what I'm inviting everybody to do because f- 
for me, and I think for anybody that does this, that I've talked to, mm -hmm. your life, we realize how rich life is and how beautiful it is. And even the, the problems that we hang out with, we are just superficial problems mostly. Mm -hmm. um, they're like the props in a way. <laughs> they're the props in a way, right? We're all out of here soon enough, right? We're not, so yeah. what's the point? And I mm -hmm. think that once you think of, there's a, some about death, right? About mm -hmm. thinking of the reality of death and what does that do? Well, it makes you live. Yeah. Right? When you realize you don't have that much time, you don't want to, um, I don't care if you live to a hundred, right? It's mm -hmm. pretty darn short. Yeah. And And paradoxically, thinking about it, keeping that in mind helps us to live better. Yeah. To live more Yes. Absolutely. Right. The time is not. Mm -hmm. and, well, it's it's endless, but it's not endless in this form. Right. Yeah. And and, and so since we only have so much time in this form mm -hmm. and we don't know how long that's going to be. You know, in my view, when I'm in my right mind and in my right heart, I'm wasting I'm wasting my time if I'm not in my right heart. Right. When I mm -hmm. judge people, I'm wasting my time mm -hmm. on this plane, mm -hmm. not accomplishing anything not positive anyway. So it's just my process. And, and that's my, it's just my process, but it's to a mm -hmm. place that I believe we all want to go. It's to a place mm -hmm. that we all are. Yeah. We are love. We're naturally compassionate mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. I think people are just so hungry, often feeling like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know. I don't know where to begin or I, or you know, I don't know how to feel okay beginning even. And so I think much about you sharing your process is it's it's back to kind of come on in. The water's fine. It's letting people know, you know, I've been there. I've even been there with with a with an important career of influence. And guess what? I've still dealt with these really deep things. And I'm telling you, you can know, as I have come to know, they're beautiful. Life is beautiful. Yeah. And, no, um, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Come on in. The water's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's people really do often need to know where and how to start. I think, especially now, what, what I think many people feel is they're afraid of either being out of control or they already feel out of control. And they don't know. Um, I heard a wonderful speaker the other day. I think it's pronounced Gabor Mate. And he's got some beautiful books out there. And um, he's a he's a doctor. And and, you know, he's talking again about, um, you know, there's a lot in our lives that doesn't prepare us for this. He's got one book out called The Myth of Normal. And, uh, and, and I've often thought of writing the myth of the together person, you know, because in a way it is a myth, you know, and then he talks about when the body says no, and how, when we don't know how to say no, and we don't know how to express what it is we really are wanting and needing, well, then our body will say no for us. The autoimmune diseases will come in. And so he's, you know, really saying he thinks that um, we, we have a way to go, but things are going to get better as more of us, um, are, are healing from so much of this, but 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's an absolutely beautiful book. I'm already thinking of somebody I'm going to give it to. So tell us about when it's coming out and all that. Um, the launch is officially November 7th, Tuesday. Okay. Um, you can pre-order on Barnes and Noble now. Um, it's available on Kindle now for pre-order at Amazon. Hmm. It's not available yet on, on, in paperback on Amazon. You can get a, an autographed copy on my website, which is thomashudsonmd.com for people who are interested in an autographed copy. Um, and then once, uh, this, once it's the seventh and it should be ready on Amazon, you can, all those links are going to be on my website. If you want to go to my website, it also describes my consultations and kind mm-hmm. of what I do. I want to put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. ThomasHudsonMD.com. It's my brand new website. Yay. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. You know, uh, it's uh, like I said, it's kind of a coming out thing for me being a conventional physician oh. and having this mindset all along, but sort of not really telling too many people. I certainly didn't tell my colleagues. Everybody else knew. All my other friends knew. Right. <laughs> You're, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't tell my colleagues much. But this is now, hey, world, this is this is me. And, Doesn't that and um, oh. ultimately, because we're all connected and we're all having the same human experience, my my point is this is us. Yes. Yeah. Right? This is us. And, and it's meant to be uh, read and reread. Mm-hmm. read and reread and re I have read these things a hundred times. And when I, when I read them, I still feel them mm. and it's an easy way place to go to take me to a beautiful place. Oh, that's um, so beautiful. So, mm. so it's not in, these are all in, you know, kind of prose poetry. It's called spiritual poems. It's sort of prose, but it's sort of poetry. It's interesting kind of unique format, oh. but, um, they're not long. Um, yeah, they're meant to be accessible and to invite you to a certain place. So you can go there along with me. Um, yeah. and, and hopefully at least what most, most people like feel what I felt. It's almost like, um, modeling something for people or, or, yeah, just giving them something that they can sort of try on in a way and go, oh, oh, this isn't so scary. I guess I, I can feel that and I can, oh, I'm reminding, uh, I'm reminded of this that I have experienced. And yes, yeah. exactly. Because everybody, they won't have the same dog I had. It won't be the same exact, mm-hmm. you know, but there'll be, there'll be parallel experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and 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 that's why I say we're living the same life, just the details are different. It's realizing we are we are light, mm-hmm. but there's you know this inner struggle that most of us have to realize that, accept that, and live in that. It's a it's a process. I can't thank you enough, and I'm so proud of you. And I I know I'll be there. Tuesday and uh, to watch this whole journey and to, you know, I, I really think you'll be out there speaking and leading, leading some circles or maybe you and Lana doing some things even more than you already have been. You've been doing, you've been trailblazers for a while. Yeah. Has been for a while. Yeah. yeah. 
So it'll be interesting, but it feels good to get this out and it feels good. You know, my grandkids will read this book. It doesn't matter if they read it in 30 mm -hmm. years. I don't care. Do you know what I mean? But it's, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. a legacy for the family and I don't know, it's something I'll leave behind. So it makes oh. me feel very, you know, I mean, yeah. some of my favorite authors have been gone for, I mean, Alan Watts is one, uh, Ernest Holmes is one. I think he died in 1950. So mm -hmm the truth, you know, truth is truth and it transcends time. Yeah. And just because I'm writing it in 2023 doesn't mean somebody, you know, in 2083 that it will find it and really, you know, speak to them and, and make a big difference. Oh. So. I think between now and then a whole lot more people will be thanking you. Well, thanks. Hopefully that won't be the only guy. I'm just waiting for the guy in 2083 to find the book. Hopefully, <laughs> there'll, be, hopefully there'll be more than that. But anyway, oh, yeah. uh, well, I have enjoyed very much talking with you as always. It could go on forever. You bet. Um, and you've been a big part of my process over the years mm -hmm. too. So I'm so glad. Well, thank you that's for that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much and many congrats. And I will finish reading and I'm sure I'll be posting a review uh, wherever and buying, I'll be buying it for someone else. I already know somebody I'm going to buy it for. Well, thanks, Debbie. I'll see you at the book launch. You can tell them about you the bet. book launch on, on Tuesday. Yeah, I will. I'll be there. Thanks. It's been great talking with you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.